Happy Thursday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So Jim, we've got uh, we've got another great guest with us. When have we not had a great guest? I mean, even when it's just the two of us, we're each other's great guests, right? They're all super cool, you know, but this <laughs> yeah, is an especially super cool one. So with us uh, with us today, we've got uh, a gentleman named Ryan Johnson. Now, I came across Ryan's name on the Replica Prop Forum when I was cruising around looking at people talking about Rocketeer props and things like that. And he had posted something like five years ago, and it was just sort of this kind of innocuous, oh, hey, guys, cool thread. Yeah, by the way, I worked on this movie. I was in it and, and out on the set for a couple of weeks doing some stuff. Anybody care? And that was kind of uh, kind of the end of it. And, I, you know, my eyes bug out of my head, uh, you know, <laughs> cartoon wolf style. So I reached out to Ryan, and he's kind enough to join us. So Ryan Johnson, uh, now of New Rule FX, uh, welcome very much to the Rocketeer Minute. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. This is really cool. I'm excited. <laughs> Wow. It's a good thing that the internet is forever because we never have known that five years ago you had mentioned this somewhere in a conversation that apparently we're the only ones that paid attention to, but you know... It's, it was uh, very out of the blue, and and uh, <laughs> but this is so cool. I've learned so much about the Rocketeer in the last couple of weeks. Or yeah, you were kind enough to say you've been uh, you've been listening to uh, listening to some of the episodes so far, and I've been binge so, watching. Uh, but you know that's that's a lot of a lot of stuff to catch up. I think I'm on like <laughs> minute ten. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's all out there forever, so don't worry, everybody that that is probably trying to catch up with you. And we're here. We are almost. Gosh, we're 44 minutes into the movie, and we're gonna we're still watching. Uh, Rather the dramatic, uh, exciting entrance of the Rocketeer, where he gets the first time being a hero. Uh, poor Malcolm, knocked out, uh, heading for <laughs> heading for a gasoline truck, and uh, and Cliffy has to try to get him awake and get him away from obvious disaster and forces of gravity. Lots of uh, lots of action. Lots of James Horner sounds like he's uh, he's really having a great day here because he gets to play all the French horns and trumpets, uh, bringing up to the uh, the cataclysmic special effect of. Uh, a gasoline truck blowing up. A gasoline truck blowing up for the second time in the movie. You know, it seemed to be magnetic uh, pulling the airplanes in this time. That uh, standard J one. Poor old Miss Mabel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but poor, of course, poor, just a model. Yeah, even poorer Bigelow, who uh, I guess the whole fleet's gone now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he has got that. You know, that great hesitation. Oh, it's all part of the show. He's trying his best to uh, to keep it up, but he just can't do it. Well, let's talk about. I mean, since uh, Ryan, you are a prop guy. There's a lot of props in this. Uh, oh yeah. In this particular shot, you've got that great microphone that uh, Bigelow's holding. You've got those speed graphic cameras in the background there in the first ten seconds. Is that the kind of thing that your company supplies? Just general. Uh, well, neural effects. We we actually fabricate special effects props. So most of the props that we do are breakaways. They're foam stunt props. They're anything that would be something that you're not going to necessarily go and rent. So we're not a rental house. People don't come in and borrow stuff, then bring it back. We pretty much, actually, most of the things that we make get destroyed very quickly and are seen on screen probably the, the smallest amount of time of any prop because they're breakaways that they cut away to really quick. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the passion that I've developed from a long, you know, long. I've been doing production for many years and kind of got more and more into the special effects prop side of it and um that's what we're currently doing now so in, so, in this case you would be the you would be the guy making the pioneer gasoline truck that, that <laughs> kind of goes away that blows up yeah exactly yeah i have yet to make a balsa wood 
a gasoline truck full of naphtha bombs, but uh, that seeing that one was very cool. A boy can dream, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, Ryan, I, I had a question for you. I was talking, uh, I was showing a friend of mine at work today uh, your site. It's uh, newrulefx.com and looking at things. And, and she and I had this idea. Has anybody, like, just sort of Joe Blow off the street ever come to you and bought some furniture just to have it around the house, just to break it for the fun of it? So I thought about how cool that would be for a housewarming party. <laughs> have a bunch of people over, then stage a fight. And we fall into the dining room table and it shatters and everything else. And your your prices are awfully awfully surprisingly low, actually. I'm not I'm not trying to shill for you here, but Well that's that was actually kind of the business model was trying to figure out a way to uh, offer special effects, especially breakaways in a price point where independent filmmakers and small regional theaters and stuff like that could actually get their hands on them. And, you know, I kind of started with the idea of, you know, can I make a breakaway bottle for half the cost of the going rate way back in the day? And once I took about two years figuring out the formula and once I had it developed, um, I went out there and you know, started a small site and that kept growing and growing and growing. And now it's kind of eclipsed my production side and takes more of my time than my production side does. But um, yeah, you know, in terms of people ordering things that aren't directly working on movies or TV or theater productions, we actually get that quite a lot. Um, there's a lot of beer bottles that get sold for bachelor parties and birthday <laughs> parties and uh, a lot of plates for, I guess it's Greek weddings. And we've been fortunate enough to uh, christen a lot of very high-profile, big machines of different type. Um, the Goodyear Blimp, the newest one, I think it's called Spirit of Akron, if I remember right. The one that was just christened a couple of years ago was christened with one of our breakaway bottles. You know, I saw that on your site. You'd, you'd mentioned their, uh, their Zeppelin, Wingfoot One. Uh, was listed on Wing your site one, as, something, that's the one. Yes. as something you had christened. So here's a little funny thing about that. So the, the tiniest of tiny ways you and I have not quite crossed paths, but sort of um, uh, about, let's see, two years ago. So about six months after it was christened, I, I flew Wingfoot One to uh, to write a magazine oh. article about what, what it's like to fly. And uh, and so that was amazing. I also saw you had Spaceship Two on there, of course, with Burt Rutan and, and that group. And uh, they're yeah, very closely that, affiliated with what bottle. I do. A milk bottle, really? Oh, very cool. What was the, yeah, what was the thing I, behind I the milk bottle? I think his son was the one. I think his son was the one that did the christening. If I'm, I, I only saw stills from it. I know he sent a bunch of stuff over there, and as far as I understand, I think it was a milk bottle. And his son, I think, did the christening, and they didn't want it to be an alcohol bottle. Wisely, <laughs> wisely chosen. Uh, that's amazing. You know, all I can think of right now is this would be the, the absolutely the coolest IKEA in the world if I could just go, go down the aisle and say, "I'll get some of these breakaway plates." And oh, here's a breakaway piano yes. and a couple. Yeah, oh, my and, goodness. And yeah. here's a rubber shotgun just in case. <laughs> yeah, in case yeah, it gets all of that stuff. Yes, aisles and yeah, aisles we get a lot of people that just and, come in and look around. Wow. Uh, you well, mentioned so, the uh, the the Goodyear blimp, and uh, that made me think immediately of the fact that as a kid I would watch. Um, you know, the original silver Goodyear blimps fly over our house all the time because where I lived uh, back in Santa Maria growing up is actually, you know, directly adjacent to the Santa Maria airport, obviously where oh, Rocketeer sure. was filmed. And uh, that was also one of the uh, major stops for the Goodyear blimp as it was coming up or coming down the coast because, as I understand it, one of the uh, pilots lived there. So seeing oh, wow. the blimp come over all the time was a very, you know, just a very cool thing as a kid growing up and seeing these blimps. And then, of course, you know, the 
Santa, uh, Santa Maria Airport um, has the Santa Maria Museum of Flight, and they would always host, um, you know, the Warbird Roundup. And I shot a documentary about that a long time ago and got to see all kinds of really great, um, you know, pieces of aviation history, flying and static. And uh, then, of course, when Rocketeer came around, that was uh, that was a really cool thing to to see at first, and then, of course, be involved in. So, what? How yeah. did that happen? You know, step us through that, and what was your uh, what was your involvement at, uh, in the making of the picture? Yeah, so this was obviously a long time ago. I was uh, taking classes, uh, taking film classes and other classes at the uh, junior college there, Allen Hancock College, and uh, one of the casting. Uh, folks came in. I want to say his name was Marshall Peck, but I can't remember, but I think that was his name. Uh, came in and said, hey, we're doing this movie. It's called The Rocketeer, and we need a bunch of extras to come out and you know be a part of this. And they had done like an open call for extras through like the newspaper and things like that to fill the grandstands, but they needed a handful of of people that could be more like on the ground, working around the cars, working around the airplanes, stuff like that. People that they could direct a little bit more. And my recollection is we were going to get paid a little bit. And then a couple days before the shoot, they brought us, you know, they said, meet over here for wardrobe and hair. And so they gave us this crazy wardrobe fitting and, you know, decided what we were going to wear in our hats and these shoes and these ugly sweaters and pants, all that kind of good stuff. And then buzzed our hair so short, I couldn't even recognize myself. And I still can't in the shots that you see. And uh, after that is when they said, oh, by the way, yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to pay you. (laughs) So for for the first, uh, I think it was three to four days, we were basically, you know, our film class, my handful of my friends, real close friends and I um, basically were able to, you know, walk around and see all the action happening. And um, I actually watched The Rocketeer last night just to see if I could see myself and try to remember how many times you can spot me. And I'm, I'm in there seven times. And if you go like frame by frame, you could probably see me another 10 times. This particular minute, the minute directly preceding it is where you'll see me the most. This minute here, I think I'm in there, but you would really have to go through it frame by frame. But yeah, I was just an extra, you know, just kind of a, an extra, extra working around. And because I was in film class, we knew kind of the different roles of all the people involved in a film. And I very quickly found out who the first assistant director was and second assistant director was, and just kind of made sure that I was always just at arm's reach with those guys and make sure that when (laughs) the director said, okay, yeah, we need some people over here, over there, I would just try to be within eyeline because an assistant director, especially in a big set like this, they're not going to go walk 20, 30 feet away to go, hey, you, you stay, you start here, walk from A to B at the beginning and then come back and do that over and over and over again. They're going to just, you know, look up and see who's looking at them and then go, you, you, you and you. Okay, do this, 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 then this. And so the first part of the week I just spent trying to get in as many shots as I can. And I'm pretty sure the editor was cursing me because I'm pretty prevalent in a lot of shots and <laughs> I'm sure at some point they're like, we can't use this shot because there's that damn extra in this again with this with this tan and and <laughs> brown sweater. But at, at one point the AD said, "You you've been in this too much. I, I see you in every shot." So she she, I think it was her. I, th- I seem to recall it was a woman said, uh, "Yeah, you you've been in these this too much. You're gonna have to go in the background now." And I was like, "Oh man!" But I was assured of being in it, and I was really looking forward to seeing myself on the big screen, which eventually I did. Um, 
But that actually kind of was a great thing because once I was kind of, you know, taken away from a camera, I went out and found out where the B camera guys were, um, the second unit. And that's where I got to meet Ken Ralston <laughs> of ILM fame. Those guys were so cool. They were setting up all kinds of shots. Um, they're setting up this shot that we're looking at right now where they drop the, uh, the clown into the big bag. They were also getting ready to do part of the scene where the uh, rocket pack gets bounced around the inside of the hangar, um, which I actually have one of those rocket packs. And we can talk more about that if you want. I I was actually listening to that this morning. You guys were talking about that thing banging around and how it was probably all hand-drawn. No, I can tell you it was actually, those were real rocket packs. And so I got one sitting right behind me right now. It, it's just it was cool to be able to hang out with the second unit they were doing all the cool special effects stuff you know once they were done with the big crowd scenes the effects guys were just going and going and going and i was lucky enough to be invited to kind of hang around and stay and i picked up a few sandbags and moved a few stands and you know generally tried not to get in the way but i was lucky enough to to really get a chance to meet joe johnston and ken ralston um, and dave stevens they allowed me to take pictures of what they were doing so i've got a lot of cool old old pictures that i've been scanning and i'll, I'll uh, make those available if you guys want them and um oh, just got absolutely. to learn a lot about how they were planning oh, on doing this oh, yes. you know i really got a <laughs> i really got the inside look and you know one of the things that occurred to me is when we when i was working with them i didn't really i had no sense of what this story was about yeah i had no idea right the the producer, Larry Franco, was the one that was always on the microphone kind of announcing to everybody through the PA system for the extras, okay, here's what's going to happen, and we're going to do this shot, and the helicopter is going to fly over with a rocketeer on the front of it, and you're all going to scream. And then we did that five times, you know, that kind of stuff. But you never really knew what was going on. And I remember like one day, just to give an example, one day I was in front of one of the facade buildings that they'd built, and there was a little statue of Lindbergh, and then the next day it was just his feet. Just sitting there, and I was like, "What happened? What, what, does the Lindbergh statue, you know, is Lucky Lindy is gone?" And you know, year a year later, I finally got to figure out why. I was like, "Oh, they cut him off and they put the rocket pack on him, and he's like hanging on the chain." And well, oh, that's so cool. Like all these is like I got goosebumps every time I'd see this shot, and I'm like, "Oh, that's what they were doing." I mean, I literally had pictures that I had to go back and look at because now I understood what it was that I was taking pictures of and what I was actually seeing because out of context. I didn't even know. I actually took a great picture of Alan Arkin. I didn't even know that's who he was. <laughs> I mean, that's how. I oh, mean, I was wow. young. I didn't know anything. I was trying wow. to take a picture of a cute girl that was standing next to him and uh, got a picture of Alan Arkin instead. And I was like, "Oh, he's in this." <laughs> and uh, got to meet Rick Baker. Um, it was an early photo bomb. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, it was. It, it really? just. It was a really fun time and so- really reinforced my love of film and obviously i mean that's what i do today so all those things just really work towards that that's just incredible wow and it, yeah it, i that that so you have the the rocketeer to blame for your the, re- the rest of your life's career and it, <laughs> it, apparently it really did a a, gr- a great job on it it definitely was one of the things that cemented it yeah it, yeah it, it's things like this when we hear about this and we've been talking about this for for weeks now about how it's a shame that there are no special features on any of the rocketeer uh, DVDs or Blu-rays or anything like that, because obviously so many people were involved in the production, and there were so many unique adventures going on in filming this. You know, in Santa Maria, in uh, L.A. at the you know Griffith Griffith Park Observatory, 
and you know all the stuff that was going on at ILM with uh, you know blowing up the Zeppelin and things like that. It's a shame. Well, I mean, it used to be a shame that we couldn't hear all these stories, but at least through this podcast, people are hearing more about the backstory of how how this stuff was done. And I guess this this coming to your hometown of Santa Maria must have been. Are are there many? Uh, were there many films made in Santa Maria before this that that you were aware of? Um, yeah, the Central Coast has doubled for a lot of different locations. Um, obviously, the big one is the Guadalupe Dunes, which is just next door to us, where they shot the Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's big epic picture. Um, and you know, there's a really long list of movies that have been done. Most of them quite old, but you know. It, it, it has a great kind of early L.A. look that was perfect for them. And the other thing is, is the Santa Maria Airport controls a lot of open land around their airspace. And there's not a lot of you don't see like a lot of skyscrapers or big buildings, you know, if you always point uh, westerly. And so, I mean, it's, it's really cool to see these shots you know, the planes flying around when they put the camera in the plane or more likely in, a, in the helicopter and get these POV shots and the lines of trees I was just mentioning to my wife. I was like, it's so cool to see like my trees in a movie. <laughs> you know, it's like that's what I associate with home, right? This yeah. big row of these huge eucalyptus trees oh, and stuff. Yeah. And that's that, I mean, literally on the other side of those trees were my house. Wow. And so we would see the GB flying over and all this stuff for quite a while. And it was yeah, it was pretty spectacular. We saw the um, the building started going up first, the Bigelow um, hangar, and this was before we even knew what was going on. And this big, huge building was just going up in the middle of the airport, kind of just adjacent to the runway, and it just didn't make a lot of sense. Like, what the heck are they doing out there? And then all of a sudden, we started seeing the structure of the uh, you know um, the grandstand being built, and um, they it didn't take them very long to do it. Um, but it came up quick and then we started finding out, oh, there's going to be, a, you know, people were saying, oh, there's going to be a Disney movie. There's going to be a Disney movie. Um, at one aside about that grandstand, I don't remember who was telling me, but somebody who was a construction or a carpenter or something like that came in and was remarking about how quickly they had built this thing. And he sighted down one bottom corner all the way to the opposite far end top corner of this thing he says you wouldn't believe how straight all their lines were he says the craftsmanship the level of detail for this grandstand was so meticulously perfect and the time that they put it together he just said it was just absolutely amazing and because the grandstand did actually have people in it it had to be built to full code Um, but you know the construction even though it was built as a set there was a an amazing amount of attention to detail and and you know just walking around those sets was really really cool well and considering that you know the hangar was put up as a movie set and all of a sudden you know here we are more than 25 years later and it's now a museum and yes you know, it, obviously it, it was built very sturdily to to keep you all know, that very stuff going. quickly uh ryan yeah just... they they were able to move it uh, very quickly, Ryan, you mentioned yeah. a moment ago we were talking about Santa Maria and other films uh, shot there. Uh, one bit of trivia, and you're talking about the statue of Lindbergh. Uh, the Jimmy Stewart film, Spirit of St. Louis, His uh, the departure scenes were shot at Santa Maria Airport, as I understand it. So the Spirit of St. Louis replica had Santa Maria That's actually right. doubling for Roosevelt Field on uh, Long Island, which is now a Circuit City parking lot or whatever Circuit City has become. But uh, anyway, minor, uh, minor little bits of movie <laughs> trivia there. 
Very cool. I do have a question about the uh, the oil derricks. Yes. The oil derricks, uh, were they full scale? And, or I mean, it looked like uh, it could have been a bit I'm of glad you perspective were... on a bunch of the things, but do you remember those being constructed? I do, actually. I remember them very well, and you are right. They are actually the, fir- the closest one to camera would probably be maybe three-quarter scale, and then they, as they go off in the distance, they are actually getting smaller. And also the big Bendix pylon, there's only one of them. So when they're pylon racing, they're going around the pylon that was right next to where everything built, but there was no second pylon. <laughs> wow. Uh, besides Alan Arkin, did, did you meet any of the principals? Yeah, I met uh, Bill Connolly. I've got his autograph. Um, unfortunately, Bill Connolly? No. Yes, that's Gable. right, right? Bill Campbell. I'm, Jennifer I'm Connolly. Con- I'm con- yeah, I'm yeah. contracting Jennifer and Billy. <laughs> How terrible. Um, yeah, Bill Campbell I met, and Paul Sorvino. Uh, I don't believe Timothy Dalton was ever at that location. Um, Alan Arkin, I saw, obviously, but didn't really get to meet him much. I actually got to see Lothar, even though he doesn't really appear. It's Lothar, right? Yeah. Right, yes. He doesn't really appear at any of those locations. Rick Baker brought him out to do some film tests with the makeup. It was the first time they had put this whole makeup on this guy, and and they actually kind of had him out in front of one of the cameras they were shooting, and they just shot a few... frames of film so they could you know print it and see how it looked and i was just standing next to this long-haired guy and i was like now that's a cool makeup job that looks really cool and the guy next to me goes thanks and i look up and i was like oh hi mr baker (laughs) i admire your work this is very cool and he's like thanks a lot (laughs) and i just didn't even realize you know we're all just kind of standing there taking pictures of this thing and he was too just admiring it from a you know getting a little bit of a distant perspective on it and i didn't even realize who it was until i'd until he had thanked me for giving him that compliment it was pretty cool and by that point baker was pretty well known because of star wars and everything um i met you know all the other guys that were at the airfield before the internet you didn't really you heard these names a lot but unless you were like really reading those fangoria magazines and doing all that stuff and memorizing what people look like you know the you you heard the names joe johnston and ken ralston but you maybe didn't know what they look like yeah it's it's amazing hearing i mean hearing all of these things and thinking this is the you know this is at the peak of some of their work and and that that they're all there live doing things you don't tend to think of them as being like doing they like they do the pre-production work and then the post-production but actually working during the production is kind of uh you know something i never really thought about that they'd actually be on site working the you know you know working and making sure that the tests are going you know that the test worked out okay while they're shooting the film you know you think that might be a pre-production kind of a thing yeah yeah it was they it was a big crew and they had a lot of things going all at once and it was a very busy set and, you know, again, I wasn't always sure exactly what was going on, but once the movie came out, I was able to connect a lot of dots and go, oh, that's what that was. And that was the, you know, they had this weird round plate that they were burying in the dirt right in front of the hangar doors that was hooked up to all kinds of gas jets and stuff. And they had this dolly track running up to it. And I didn't get to see the shot, but later on I figured out, oh, that's the effect that blows all the dust when the Rocketeer first takes off in front of the doors of the hangar. And uh, it was cool to see how that was all done. Um, this this is fascinating stuff, and I, we're we're kind of running to the end of our <laughs> end of our show. But could we have you on on another on another show? Would you mind coming back and talking some more about the Rocketeer and being on set? I'd absolutely be delighted. This has been really fun. Awesome. Okay. Well, we are gonna we're gonna hold here, and we will come back to uh, uh, to more of the Rocketeer. 
uh, probably tomorrow to finish out the week, if that's okay. We'll go, we'll go on with there. Uh, for folks uh, listening to the show right now, if you'd like to join us uh, in the conversation, we're available, of course, on all the normal social media of uh, Twitter at uh, Rocketeer Minute, at uh, Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute, and, of course, at the big site RocketeerMinute.com, where you can catch up on previous episodes, uh, pick up some cool Amazon swag that's out there and all kinds of stuff. Uh, also, if you want to subscribe to this, listen to us every day, fresh, hot, and early at uh, at either iTunes or Google Play. Just search for Rocketeer Minute. Uh, click subscribe, and boom, it's on your uh, Android or iPhone or whatever you're carrying around with you on the treadmill or out in the woods or wherever you're at. Uh, but join us here tomorrow, and we'll talk some more about uh, shooting the Rocketeer uh, on the Rocketeer Minute. So until next time, over and out. <laughs>